So what do you want to talk about today? I think we should talk about the law today. So my question to you is this. What is the law for anyway? Now by law I mean the Ten Commandments and other laws that were handed down to the Israelites out in the wilderness by God through Moses. What is the law for anyway? Is it uh, just a quaint relic? Things that are nice to do if you can, but not really relevant in our world today? Or is it a checklist? Is it a, a series of things that we need to check off our list each day to be good people? What is the law for? I suppose to get at that, we should probably put it in some context. Place it in the story in which we find it. And today that story is in Deuteronomy, but the truth is, is that the giving of the law actually happens earlier in the journey through the wilderness, happens in the book of Exodus. So just to kind of catch us up, we remember that uh, last week we learned about how God heard the cry of the Israelites in Egypt. They were um, oppressed in slavery, and God heard their cry, and so appeared to Moses, said, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you're going to rescue my people. And of course, they weren't always oppressed and in slavery in Egypt. Uh, we go back even further in the story to where Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, was sold off into slavery by his brothers. And he had some tough times through his experience in Egypt, but God was with him. And eventually, he found favor with Pharaoh and helped him out of a tough situation, averted an economic disaster by taking seven years of abundance and turning it into warehouses to make sure that everyone had enough to eat through seven years of famine. And through that process, was able to be reconciled to his brothers, the very brothers who threw him away, who hated and despised him. All of Jacob's sons, they're all their families, came to Egypt to live so that they wouldn't be starving and uh, we hear that they multiplied, that they prospered and uh, things went well for them until a new administration caused that particular Pharaoh and his people to view them not as neighbors and friends any longer but as enemies, as intruders and aliens and so they were oppressed and that's when God heard their cry. So here we are now, we're out in the wilderness. Because you see, God promised that the people would be rescued out of Egypt and taken to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where they could worship their God freely and live their lives as God's children. So why are we in the wilderness and for so long? The Bible says 40 years. Of course, Numbers in the Bible are fairly symbolic, and 40 just means a really long time. And actually, in this case, we know that it was at least a generation that the people who were rescued out of Egypt died in the wilderness, and it was their children who would eventually go into the promised land. Why 40 years? Why did they have to be out in the... It doesn't take 40 years to get from A to B across the wilderness. 
course, last week we had a little clue as to why they needed to spend some time out in the wilderness. You might recall, six weeks into their journey, they had just been rescued six weeks prior from slavery and oppression. And their stomachs started to grumble because they were hungry and they complained. And they wished that they were back in Egypt. It took them that long, six weeks to forget all that God had done for them. It took them six weeks to lose their trust that God would provide, even though God had rescued them. So maybe they needed a little bit of time to get away from Pharaoh's Egypt. After all, they had lived there for generations. That's all they knew. They knew about oppressors and the oppressed. They knew about the haves and the have-nots, the powerful and the powerless. And as Pastor Dan Erlander, author and former campus pastor at PLU, said they needed the wilderness school. They need an opportunity to learn a new way of being, learn how to be God's people instead of Pharaoh's people. So they needed some time in the wilderness. Another pastor puts it this way, says, at the Red Sea, God took Israel out of Egypt. Out in the wilderness and at Mount Sinai, God took Egypt out of Israel. Gave them an opportunity to be a new people. Give their people a chance in the promised land so that they wouldn't just recreate Pharaoh's Egypt all over again, but would create a society of shalom, of wholeness and compassion and love, not a hierarchical system of haves and have-nots. So they're gathered around the base of Mount Sinai, sometimes called Mount Horeb, and Moses goes back up to have another encounter with the living God, and this time God gives a gift to the people. It may not seem like a gift at first. I mean, after all, in our culture, laws seem like things that get in the way of our freedom, right? They restrict us. They uh, constrain us. But it was a gift from God to the people, the Ten Commandments. And they said things like, you shall have no other gods. And you shall not wrongly use the, God, Lord's, the Lord's name. And you shall observe the Sabbath, keep it holy. And you shall honor your father and mother, and you shall not kill, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal or lie. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or covet or desire anything that belongs to your neighbor. And these commandments were given to the people so that they might learn a new way of living in the world, a new way of being. And it's interesting now, though, we're, we're actually 40 years past that now. We're in at the end of their journey. They're almost in the promised land. And Moses isn't going to get there. Moses is going to stay and die in the wilderness, and the people that Moses is talking to now are the children of the people who first came out of Egypt. The children of the people who were gathered around Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given to them. And yet it's interesting because this is what Moses says when he gathers them all. 
If you see, he's, this is kind of like their um, commencement address at the end of their school. They're going to graduate, and they're going to go into the promised land. And so he has some things to remind them of. He wants them to remember that they used to be slaves in Egypt, that it was God who rescued them. He wants them to remember about all that God had done for them, how God had provided for them in the wilderness, and how God had given them the law. But he says this. He says the covenant that God made was with us at Horeb. It was not to our ancestors, but to us. To those of us here and now who are alive today. If you look at that on the surface, that's not accurate. That's not what happened. God made the covenant with their parents back at Sinai. They weren't even born yet. But you see, Moses isn't about historical accuracy. He's about transformation. He's about letting them know that God's promises and God's word is not something that dies with any generation, but is given for all generations. And so this covenant that was given to the people around Sinai applies just as much to the children and applies even to us today. And so again, I ask the question, what's the law for nowadays? Is it just some, something that was back in the past and it's nice to look at and gosh, if we could live that way, that'd be great, but it's not really relevant in today's world, right? Or is it a checklist? A scorecard, if you will. A way of kind of checking down the list to make sure that we're good people. Hmm. I observed the Sabbath today. Check. I didn't kill anybody today. Check. Is that what it's for? I don't think so. Here's the problem that I have with it being a checklist or a scorecard. It's a couple reasons that that doesn't seem like a good idea. The first is that it gives us permission, I think, to compare ourselves to other people. Well, those people down the street, they're not obviously keeping the commandments, but I, we are. Or, oh, I couldn't possibly live up to being the kind of good person that she is. I, she's just so holy and there's just no way. The other is that this kind of a relationship is a very singular relationship. It's about me and God. And if I do everything that I'm supposed to do, well, then, uh, then I'll be a good person. I'll be a good Christian. God will love me. I, I'll, I'll be righteous enough to make it to heaven. But the relationship that God has had with us has never been about me and God. It's been about us and God. Right? I mean, look at the Ten Commandments themselves. The first three have to do with God. The other seven are about how to live in community. Because I got news for you. And this I, I, I learned from a couple of professors at Luther Seminary, Rolf Jacobson and David Lose, who really helped me take a look at the Ten Commandments in a different way. And this is what they said. They said, you know what? The Ten Commandments weren't given to you by God because God loves you. The Ten Commandments were given to you because God loves your neighbor. 
And the Ten Commandments were given to your neighbor because God loves you. If you don't steal, I don't have to worry about my stuff. If I don't kill, you feel safe. The Ten Commandments are about how we are to live in relationship to one another. And it is a response. It is a response to God's love and grace for us. The very first commandment, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods. In fact, the Jewish people make that the commandment. They actually say the ten words. And the first word is, I am the Lord your God. That's the first thing God says. I will provide, I will be there for you, I will love you no matter what. Now, here is how I want you to live so that it will go well with you in the land that I am giving you. And then the first thing after that is you shall have no other gods. You're not going to worship wealth. You're not going to worship power. You're not going to worship that feeling that you have when people think well of you and like you. You're not going to worship security. Whatever it is, you're going to worship me. You're going to orient yourself towards me, the living God, who gives you all that you need and more. In our text for today, Moses gives the people another commandment. The Jewish people call it the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word. It means hear. It's the first word of the commandment. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I am the Lord your God, says our Father. The Lord your God is our God. He is the only God. There is no other. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is challenged by a lawyer. He says, what is the greatest commandment? They're testing him. They want to catch him up in, in something that they can use against him. And when they ask this question, Jesus doesn't hesitate. He recites the Shema. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law 
and the prophets, Jesus says. Here we have in these two commandments the distillation of all that God has commanded. All of this embodied in the living Christ. Love God and love neighbor as ourselves. It's not going to be easy. We get too selfish. We get too turned in on ourselves. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up in all kinds of ways. But just as the Israelites knew that they had been slaves in Egypt, just as they knew that it was God who brought them out of Egypt and to the promised land, and so sought to live in gratitude of that reality, you and I have also been rescued from a different kind of Egypt, rescued from the oppression of sin and death. Wouldn't we also want to live our lives in gratitude for that? To orient ourselves toward God, to show our love for God not only by our praise and worship, by the way we treat one another. Ten Commandments are a gift, a life-giving gift that we are called to live out in response, in gratitude. I have to tell you uh, an illustration that was shared with me just after this last service by one of our members. She was studying to be a teacher and she met with her advisor and her advisor asked this question, are you going to be a demanding teacher or a commanding teacher? And she said she admitted she felt a little silly, she didn't quite know the difference. And the professor said, a commanding teacher is one who commands respect, who the people love and admire and care for so much that they will do the work. They'll do it enthusiastically, willingly, eagerly. These are the Ten Commandments. They're not the Ten Demands. They're not a checklist that we have to check off to make sure that God loves us. They are a loving response to the love and grace that we have received through Christ. May we as a community live together in the shalom, the world, the, the life of peace, the life of wholeness and well-being through caring for one another, through loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let us pray. Gracious God, there are so many false idols, so many gods clamoring for our attention. You call us to worship you alone. You call us to live our lives as your people. You call us to turn away from solely thinking about ourselves to worshiping you and loving our neighbor. May we as a community here, a community of Christ Church, strive to be that kind of a congregation. Congregation that so loves and adores you and your word and the blessings and promises that you have given to us. 
that we live a life of shalom, a life of wholeness, that we share that good news, that we are loved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.